Coast to coast, nonstop action. This is the premier source for National Hockey League news. Scores, highlights, and the Anaheim Ducks. It's time to light the lamp with Alexis Downing. Welcome to Light the Lamp here on DuckStream. I am your host, Alexis Downey. It's Friday and it's also St. Patrick's Day, one of my favorite days of the year, having gone to Michigan State, a green school, and then coming from the city of Chicago where they dyed the river green. It's just a very special holiday in the Midwest. And speaking of Michigan State, my Spartans won this morning in their March Madness game against USC. Very happy to see that. But unfortunately, my bracket has already been busted after day one of the tournament when Arizona lost. So at this point, I'm just going to continue to watch the games and hope for some good matchups. But also naturally today, I am wearing green as you should be on St. Patrick's Day. And so will the Ducks tonight when they wear their special warm-up jerseys ahead of their game against the Columbus Blue Jackets. Now, the Ducks did fall at Honda Center their last time out on Wednesday, 6-3 to to the New York Islanders, a team who is in desperation mode to stay in their wildcard spot right now in the East. So let's get into AD's takeaways from that game on Wednesday. I felt like the Ducks came out very motivated and fast-paced in the game, and maybe some of that was a carryover from the end of Sunday night's game against Nashville, where they were able to tie it up but then eventually fall in overtime. And speaking of this quick play to start the first period, Max Jones scored just 25 seconds in right off of a face-off play. And that was something that head coach Dallas Akins had talked with us in the morning before the game about how important face-offs would be and how much of a test it would be for the team's young centers to match up against the Islanders' experienced guys. Now, Trevor Zegras had a ridiculous through-the-legs pass to Kevin Shattenkirk for a goal at the end of the first period as well, just showing off his creativity. I saw it in real time, and I was mind-blown. It looked so smooth from Z. It's all over the internet. If you haven't seen it, make sure to go check out that highlight. Shattenkirk would go on to have two goals in the game on that one. And the Ducks were leading 2-1 after the first period, but ultimately after that, things just kind of changed. The Islanders took advantage of every single one of the Ducks' turnovers, which included officially 11 giveaways in that game. And I think the Ducks lacked some attention to detail in this game, and the Islanders were able to capitalize on that as well. And they just spent a lot of time in the Ducks' zone throughout the entire game. It felt like that's what we were watching, just the Islanders getting the momentum through that second period and the third period. And I think it's just the first time in a while that we've seen a game like this from the Ducks. They've been doing so well in building off different areas in their game recently. This was sort of a step back for the team, but something definitely to learn from as they move into the rest of the homestand. The Islanders' Kyle Palmieri, a former Duck, had a four-point night as a part of their win. And they were really good on the rush and up the middle, just as was expected heading into the game. So now six games left in this long eight-game homestand for the Ducks. And I mentioned it in my last show, but I want to touch on it once again. Nikita Nestorenko, who has just signed a two-year deal with the Ducks, is now with the team in Anaheim and has been practicing. We're just waiting to see when he's going to get the chance to take the ice. 
Let's now look at the NHL as a whole and go coast to coast with goal calls from Thursday night in the league, beginning with the Colorado Avalanche and Ottawa Senators game. The Avs have continued their recent success, extending their win streak to now four games with their win at Canadian Tire Center. Nathan McKinnon and Miko Rantanen both had three-point nights, and the Avs had a 5-2 lead after just two periods of play. Now, Lars Eller may have had the weirdest goal that we've seen this entire NHL season that came at the end of that second period. There was an icing that was waved off by officials, and then the Senators' goaltender touched the puck in the crease, but the puck then got loose, and Eller just took advantage of it and put it in the back of the net. The Senators' players that were around were very confused, but Eller sold the situation, and the goal stood. It was a 5-4 to four win for the Avalanche in this game, and you can listen to the call of the goal from Connor McGahee. Kachuk can't win the faceoff. Jack Johnson below the goal line in his own zone. Sam Gerrard all the way down ice. Icing is waved off. It goes in on Sogard, and so he'll cover up. No, there's no whistle. Puck is in the net. Oh, my goodness. What in the world just happened? Everybody in the building, including yours truly, thought that Either A, it would have been icing, or two, the puck was covered up. I don't think either of those things happened, and it's Lars Eller. Come Eller high water, who stuffs it in for his first goal as a member of the Colorado Avalanche. This is fascinating. Now, Brady Kachuk is over talking to Frederick Lequier. There was a miscommunication, it appeared, between the linesmen on whether that was icing or not. They decided it wasn't icing. And there was no whistle to freeze the puck either from the referee, Frederick Lequier, who was down low. He pointed to signal goal. And if that's the case, it will be Lars Eller's first as a member of the Avalanche's eighth of the year with under two minutes to go in the second period. He went off the end wall right to Sogard. He didn't cover it up. It was just sitting at his right pad. No whistle came, and the Avalanche stuck with it. Both Eller and O'Connor were there, and they stuffed it in. That's one of the stranger plays we've seen in a long time. You can hear how a full house in Ottawa feels about the last sequence of events. Next up, also on Thursday, the Seattle Kraken, who are hanging on to a wild card spot with 83 points, had a win on the road at the SAP Center against the San Jose Sharks. The Kraken are 6-3-1 and one in their last 10 games and are just behind the top three in the Pacific Division. It's really going to come down to the end of the season in the Pacific to see who is going to end up where points-wise. Vince Dunn scored the overtime winner one minute and 58 seconds into the period to get the 2-1 to one win for Seattle. This was his second game-winning goal this season. Everett Fitzhugh has the call of Dunn's goal. Survey the scene, bring it back in. Here's Dunn, up ice, scored off the bench. Dunn, scores! Vince Dunn pushing his point streak to 11 games. He wins it in overtime, 2-1. The Kraken get the extra point. They snap their skid at three and get back in the win column. The Dundertaker does it in overtime. And we're going to keep it in the West with the Calgary Flames taking on the Vegas Golden Knights on Thursday. Calgary kept it in the zone with Elias Lindholm dishing a puck off to Tyler Toffoli, who took it 
to Jonathan Quick in the net and scored on a diving goal on his glove side, going from the right to the left side. It was a pretty nice goal by Toffoli, and the goal extended Calgary's lead to two to nothing, and that wouldn't be the only goal that Toffoli scored in this game. He added another one in the third period, making it his 28th goal of the season. Calgary went on to have a big 7-2 win over the leaders in the Pacific in Vegas. And Vegas only had 19 shots on goal in this game and didn't capitalize on any of their four power play chances. Here's the call by Sportsnet's 960 The Fans, Derek Wills. Lindholm trying to feed it up in front to Bajapani, but his pass is broken up by Marcia Silva. But Toffoli's going to pick it up and walk in. Toffoli, Deeks, shoots, scores! Wow! What a goal by Tyler Toffoli, who dances in front, goes backhand to forehand and buries it, and the Flames take a 2-0 lead. The Tampa Bay Lightning are working to get back on track in a 4-3 shootout win on Thursday against the New Jersey Devils certainly helped. Steven Stamkos had two goals and an assist for three points in this game. Now, the Devils' Timo Meyer netted a crucial power play goal on a one-timer that tied the game up at 17:44 into the third period and forced overtime. He had two goals in the third period alone as a part of this game. Now, Alex Glorn for the Lightning would go on to have the shootout winner for Tampa Bay. And like I said, the Lightning are just working on improving, and this win against another playoff team was very valuable for them. Matt Laughlin has the call of Myers tying goal. 40 seconds left to go on this power play. Face off to Vasilevsky's left. The Devils win it. Here's Jack Hughes. Now out high for Hamilton. Fakes it, gives it off. Meyer with the drive. He scores from the far side. The big blast by Meyer. The power play goal. It's 3-0. Well, we have some Friday night hockey at Honda Center tonight with the Columbus Blue Jackets in town. So for today's interview, we welcomed on Jody Shelley. Jody shares a look inside Columbus's season and the impact of Johnny Gaudreau joining the club this year. And then also a deeper look into the changes that the team made at the deadline as a part of their retooling season. Take a listen. Joining Light the Lamp now is Columbus Blue Jackets analyst and former NHL player Jody Shelley. Jody, thank you for being here with us today. How are you doing? I'm doing great, Alexis. Thanks for having me on. You know, it's nice to be back in Southern California. Uh, great memories playing against the Ducks here, of course. And uh, yeah, uh, excited for the game. And I was going to say, I know that the Blue Jackets have quite a bit of road games this month, only three home games. So I know you're not any stranger to how the travel can be in the NHL, but how do you think at this point in the season, you know, that can affect the team and the guys in the locker room? You know what? I always liked a good uh, California road trip. Uh, <laughs> when I played, you know, when you, as a player, you look at first, when you, the schedule comes out, you look at the uh, Christmas break, kind of what's happening at that time of the year to make plans. Then you look at the all-star break Um and then you look at when's the long trip, because there's always one. And we used to be in the West, uh, so we'd be out here a couple times more. But now we're in the East, so it's it's far less. I liked it as a player. You know, I think it really does bring the group together. Um, you know, you're on the road. You're in different cities. You're in cities that are unique because of the weather and what they have to offer. 
Uh, some of these places like New York, L.A., Anaheim, Vegas, mm-hmm. uh, some people have never seen them. So, And the group gets together, they eat together, they hang out. Uh, it builds camaraderie. So the travel for the players this time of year, I mean, if we were in a playoff race, uh, you know, it'd, it'd be a different flavor to it. But I see it more as a, a trip for these guys to enjoy. Uh, enjoy competing in the games, of course, but it's not as intense right now. So it's a little more enjoyable for these guys. Well, when you look at the season that Columbus has had, very similar to in a lot of ways with the Ducks um, and a, a lot of ups and downs, you might look at it and think. But, you know, how has it been for the team from your perspective? Well, it's been disappointing. I mm-hmm. mean, this is a team that, you know, they're in a retool. I mean, there's two or three words right now throughout the NHL. It's a rebuild, a retool, and they're trying to retool this team. Um, and, you know, in the offseason, they picked up Johnny Goodrow, which was a highly coveted free agent, and he chose Columbus, mm-hmm. and that created such a buzz in the market. But it also created expectations, and I think that they were a little unrealistic. I think this team was going to compete uh, to be in a playoff race. That's kind of was the progression that we saw. Uh, but that expedited a little bit in the fans' eyes and and, and even the players' eyes, uh, picking up Johnny Goodrow. And this is a young team uh, that has dealt with a lot of injuries. And it's it's not an excuse, it's a reason, because Zach Wierenski, the number one defenseman, goes out early in the season. Patrick Laine, who is is supposed to be creating chemistry with Johnny Goodrow in camp, which he did, he got hurt the first game in the second period. He was out for some time. So it's been inconsistent players in and out. The goaltending underachieved. There was injuries with those guys. So when you put it all together, the expectations of Johnny Goodrow, uh, the injuries that came in, and then just the slow start to the season, uh, it's been disappointing. It's created a long, kind of a long feeling for these players, I bet, as the season's gone on. When you look at how Johnny Gaudreau has kind of settled in with Columbus this season, what has stood out to you about the way he's adjusted to this transition for him? Yeah, it's a big one. I mean, he was part of the the best line in hockey last season, uh, you know, up in Calgary. And it, all three of those guys, they put Lindholm and Kachuk and him put up career numbers coming into this season. And, you know, he's a dynamic piece that can complement great players he sees the game so well I think he's adjusted well it's been tough though because he's Mm -hmm. played with a lot of different line mates there's been so many players in and out of the lineup Uh, and finally he's settled in with Boone Jenner they've created some chemistry there Uh, line a is on that line from time to time but he's starting to pick up a little momentum on the power play looks like they've settled it down Um, you know he needs pieces like Boquist Uh, Wierenski's out I mentioned that but that would be a key factor for him that second wave of attack Uh, but he's picking up points he's competitive uh, he's the focus of the opposition when you're playing against the Blue Jackets. It's Liney and Goodrow. So they're seeing the tough matchups. There's just no one really to take away uh, the focus on him on his line where he can get freed up a little bit. So I think it's been a little bit, maybe a quite a bit frustrating season for Johnny Goodrow. Um, he expects a lot out of himself, but mm-hmm. also, you know, just you want to feel good as an athlete about what you're doing for other players as well on the ice. And I think he's lacking that a little bit. So um, I, I'm pretty sure as this season winds down, he'll be uh, looking to, to the offseason and a fresh start next year. The team was active at the trade deadline. You kind of talked about the team retooling, and part of that was the departure of Jonas Corposalo and Vladislav Gavrikov. Uh, so how has the group adjusted with some of those changes um, on the roster 
and moving forward as they look ahead to what that team could look like? Well, you know, they say the word is opportunity, right? And, mm-hmm. and that's really what's happened here. Gavikov was a first-minute player, a last-minute player, a penalty kill guy, uh, kind of a, a solid presence on the back end for the defensive coach, Steve McCarthy, to be able to just throw him out in all situations. And with that lacking now, it means Andrew Peak, young defenseman who had a great year last year, is getting more opportunity. Eric Goodbranson, who is coming in here as a bottom pair defenseman, uh, he's been playing more minutes because they're the two most experienced players on the back end. And then you have young players like Blankenberg um, getting getting more ice time. So that's really what's happened with with the Gavrikov departure. In the in the net, it's been a hole because Jonas Corposalo has found his game. He's mm-hmm. a player that was injured last year, uh, battled through everything, and, and found his game this year when healthy. And that's when he got traded. He was he's a nice pickup for the LA Kings. Both of those guys are. Um, and it's just created holes in the back end, but opportunities for other players. And, and, you know, it's not a bad thing right now. Those guys are going to be free agents. They picked up a couple picks for them. Um, so now you're seeing really what the prospects are, are worth, I guess, in the National Hockey League, uh, which sometimes is hard to evaluate because these guys are playing so much hockey more than they've ever played coming from college in Russia. Um, but at the same time, there's a way to watch them in all situations. So it's a good evaluation year. And, and those guys moving along is, is enabled the team to do that a little more. Does the organization look ahead, uh, you know, with where they're at in the standings, kind of similar, like I've mentioned, with the Ducks, um, you know, to the future and what could be with the draft potentially this summer? Oh, yeah, that's all they're looking at. I mean, that's, <laughs> that is the focus. I mean, mm-hmm. you know, it's probably us and, and the Ducks, you guys, uh, Chicago, you know, those teams, San Jose, I mean, the buzz it would create in the market to get a player that's been talked about and, and is such a, a young superstar in Connor Bedard. Um, I know everyone talks about the other two, pro- three prospects are good, too, right after that. But, you know, it's really that player that you've heard about since he was 14 years old that I, I think could really create a buzz in a market and boost an organization. So, you know, that's the focus here. When those when those lottery balls drop in, in uh, May or whenever it's going to be, maybe it's April. You know, it'll be it'll create a buzz in one of these markets, but it's definitely something. I and mean, that's all they're looking at right now is what do they really need? Uh, can they change this in four, three or four years? And, and do, can, can they get those blue chip pieces that can do it? The team is coming on to a back to back with a game in L.A. last night and now taking on the Ducks tonight. When you look at the game that they played against the Kings, what did you think about the team's performance, you know, despite the the loss? You know, it was uh, it was disappointing because and I say that the Kings are a good hockey team. Mm-hmm. I mean, that's a team that's juiced up for the playoffs. So they, they, you know, any mistake, uh, you can sense that that team holds itself accountable. They got Kopitar and Dowdy and some great veterans there. Uh, Todd McClellan's a great coach, but they play a great defensive game. Uh, they've got enough skill to hurt you if, you if you have any lapses. And if you feed them anything that's positive their way. You know, they're going to make you pay. So our goaltender played really well in the first period. Uh, Tarasov, he kept it 0-0. And then the second period, they came out, the LA Kings, and, and, and took advantage of their opportunities and put up four. And for the Blue Jackets, a lot of young mistakes. Um, I'm not sure if you're seeing that here in Anaheim as well, I would imagine, where, you know, you can hold on to the game and look like you're organized for a bit, but it's one or two mistakes turn into three or four, and then the game gets away. And that was really the story of last night. And then when you look at the matchup tonight against the Ducks, what are you expecting to see um, out of the Blue Jackets? 
Well, they're not in a very good mood. And they, you know, this morning they, t- they went to the rink and did a long video session. Um, I would expect them to tighten things up a little bit. Mm-hmm. You know, there's a, there's a certain expectation from every player, from the coach defensively, there's responsibilities out there from every player. And I think he gets more disappointed when the older players aren't sticking to those plays. So I would expect uh, for the Blue Jackets tonight, uh, more consistency with their, their structure and their defensive zone, less turnovers. And, um, you know, they have pretty good offense. So I think that some guys would be looking for the open ice uh, against the Ducks. It should be a fun game. I mean, mm-hmm. the San Jose game we had the, the other night was fun because it was full of turnovers. And who right. doesn't love a game that goes back and forth and back <laughs> and forth? So uh, I would hope it's that kind of game, but I would expect it to be a little tighter tonight. So changing gears a little bit, I know in your hockey career, you played in the Quebec Major Junior Hockey League, and I know that the league recently announced that they are looking ahead to maybe getting rid of fighting next season, and I was curious as to what your thoughts on that were. Yeah, I don't, you know, fighting gave me an opportunity to live a childhood dream. Uh, It was a role I'd never ever, ever thought I would be in, but I found it as a vehicle for me Um, in saying that. And that's with my, I say that with my heart, of course, uh, you know, Mm -hmm. that's gave me my path, Mm -hmm. but the way that fighting has evolved, um, the way that I look back and it was when I played, um, I'm glad it's evolved to where it's at now. You know, Mm -hmm. I, I don't think it's necessary to fully remove fighting from our game. I think it's a part of hockey I, I think that we're seeing far less fights. I used to have 30 a year. I mean, it was crazy what was happening in the National right. Hockey League. And, and I would fight the one guy that would fight in the opposite opposite team. Um, and here it was George Peros all the time. I think <laughs> I fought him most than anyone in my career. Um, but, you know, that's gone. And I, I just don't think it's necessary uh, to remove that because there's an element of in our game, first of all, the fascination from anyone that doesn't know hockey and they come to a game, they say, I saw a fight. Where else can you fight? You know, you can't fight anywhere else. Mm-hmm. Uh, but it's it's the element of in the locker room, standing up for a teammate, uh, holding guys accountable. You know, guys hit the goalie. You have to send a message. It's just it's just a fun part of the game. And, and um, the way that it's the way that it's evolved with the concussions in mind and and taking care of the athlete, I think it's phenomenal. But too aggressive saying they're going to ban it. You can leave it in. It's going to phase itself out eventually. Uh, but it, knowing it's in your back pocket, knowing that if you, you slap a guy and he slaps you back and you can drop the gloves and settle it and it's done, I think it's great. I think that mm-hmm. uh, that part of the game uh, solves a lot of issues that you might have, uh, you know, with sticks and checks and goalies getting hit and things like that, the dirty part of the game, because the fighting keeps the dirty part of the game uh, away. Mm-hmm. Jody Shelley, thank you so much for joining us today on DuckStream. My pleasure. Thank you so much. Now it's time for my final quack for this episode, where I share my last thoughts before the end of the show. Have a great weekend. Enjoy the madness of March because there's going to be plenty more of it. And we'll see you on Sunday for the Ducks next game when they host the Vancouver Canucks. Thank you for listening to Light the Lamp. I am Alexis Downey. Come back again for more hockey talk next time on DuckStream. This is an Anaheim Ducks original production on Duck Street.